Leviticus in the Old Testament is where we're started this morning. Leviticus, if you don't have a paper, they are right by the back. And Pat, you have some in hand? Pat and Noah are going to walk through the auditorium. If you need a handout, raise your hand and they'll give that to you as we get started. Here, let's do this. Let's get our minds working this morning. Anybody need the, hand, the lesson notes? Feel free to raise your hand as you're headed over to Leviticus. Here we go. Name something that might become spoiled. Milk, fruit, what else? Meat, kids, kids. Here we go. The surprise of the party, the pet, the children, foods, meats, and then milk was number one. What child's first might parents want to record? Their first steps? What's that? Teeth? First haircut. I didn't get one for many, many years. Okay. First birthday? First date? Oh, I, my parents did not record that. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't record it of my kids either. It was like, yeah, they didn't even want to bring them in the house. You know, they were afraid of what would happen if I, if I did something. Leaving for the first day of school, riding their bike, Christmas, birthday, words, and steps was number one. Name something little kids might hate to do. Bathe. <laughs> Eat veggies. Okay. Go to sleep. Go to school, homework, brushing teeth. I think you've got most all of them. Here we go. Go to church. Can you believe that? That's just horrible. Whoever did that, they're just, ah, can't believe that. Here we go. Go to bed, clean up the room, eat veggies. And number one was take a bath, wash hair. Name a phrase whining kids use while on a long trip. Their, their foot is on my side of the car. Do you remember when the cars used to have the hump? Yeah, and it was like, their foot's on my side of the hump. Yeah. Here's what they said. I want to go home. I'm hungry. So-and-so is annoying hitting me or looking at me. Yeah. Our, our kids, were, they're breathing my air. Like, I have to go to the bathroom. Are we there yet? Name a place little kids love to go to. A park? Zoo? Grandparents. Absolutely. Place with animals. We got, what else? Right. Right. Here's, here's we go. School, store. By the way, only half a kid said that they want to go to school. Okay. Um, store for candy, zoo, park, movies, amusement park, grandparents. You can see I put the numbers to these. Okay. <laughs> And there's a bonus of 200 points. Church, absolutely. They want to go to church. Here's, since we're sitting in church, we want to talk about becoming more like the master. Our idea is based on Romans chapter 8. And we've been looking at Romans chapter 8 talks about that all things work together for good. And we all grab that verse as a verse of encouragement, comfort, consolation when we're going through trials. But it continues on and it talks about for whom he did foreknow, these trials come in because he's conformed, uh, he's predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ to become more like Christ. And so what we're talking about in this period of time is what, some, what are some areas we can become more like Christ? The one that we are focusing on primarily to get started is in personal holiness. We've talked about this in the last couple 
couple weeks is, uh, are we holy people? We're all sinners. We know that. The Word of God makes it very clear that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But at the same time, in First Peter, he talks about us being a holy nation already at present, a holy people. And so how is that possible that we can be holy and yet we still are dealing with sin in our life? And so we've been pointing out that from a theological, biblical point of view, that what happens is we are declared holy judicially in the court of heaven. Uh, And Jesus Christ, who had no sin, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so what happens here is God declares declares as he looks at us that he sees Christ's blood covering us, and therefore we are be- standing before God, we are positionally holy, is the term that you'll read um, in, in some of the theological books and commentaries. And so in position, judicially, standing before God, we are declared holy. There are multiple uh, verses that talk about it, and the phrase that they typically use, or the term, is justified, justification. You can go to the book of Romans where it's talking the first three chapters about our sinfulness and the punishment, and then he'll talk about, but we have been justified. He mentions it several times within the book of Romans, this concept that we are justified or experience justification through Jesus Christ. And it's not just in Romans. Galatians talks about it as well, that we are justified by our faith in Christ. And he says that even though we have a sinful past, we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the conclusion of that is, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we've been justified, not by our good looks, our good works, whatever, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, we put faith in what he has done, therefore we're justified. So in that sense, we're holy. But in another sense, we are told in scriptures, be holy, be holy. Twice in this passage, he commands, be holy, be holy. And God is our standard, and since he's our Lord, we're supposed to be holy like that. Philippians writes the idea of work out your own salvation, not for your salvation, but bring it out, okay? And then we're supposed to keep on growing in the sense of becoming holier, whether we're, we, we are in the presence of the apostle or wherever we're at, we're supposed to be growing in our holiness, in practicing our holiness. That's why you'll read in books or commentaries, or if you go online and study a passage, they'll use this term. It is called progressive sanctification or progressive holiness. So positionally, we are declared holy, but practically we are working on becoming holier in our everyday life. And so we are at that spot where in our lesson we've been talking about what kind of things should we do? What kind of things should we not do that will impact our progressive, our daily holiness? And so we, we're starting this way. There's, uh, there's several things I want to include here. But I wanted to start this morning <coughs> with saying, are there specific acts, words, deeds that we do that are said, get them out of your life? And so we, if we jump down to where we stopped last week, we did a couple of these verses. In the book of Leviticus, as he is giving them the law, he is saying, you people are supposed to sanctify yourselves. I have redeemed you out of Egypt. So now be holy because I am holy. And he lists in Leviticus chapter 19, he lists certain activities, um, practices, words. And he says, these got to get out of your life. In order to become holy, get rid of this. Verse 4, what was it? Okay, I'm sorry, what did you say? Okay, the idolatry. Verse 11, what was it? 
The what? Stealing. Stealing, lying, okay, cheating. Okay, we looked at that last week. Verse 12, what's listed? Okay, in verse 12, it's the idea of uh, dishonestly or in a way profaning the name of the Lord. Remember, we stopped with this saying that in the Bible days, they had systems set up that you could say something, you could vow something, but if you said it a certain way, you weren't held to it. And by the New Testament, that's where Jesus says, let your yea be yea and nay nay, is be honest and stop twisting words and saying certain things in a certain way to get, uh, to get out of uh, uh, keeping your commitments. And so using the names of the Lord uh, in a vain way. What's verse 13? What do you have out of there? Leviticus 19, verse 13. What'd you say? Fraud, stealing. Okay, dishonesty with a neighbor, your employer, cheating somebody, get it out of your life. Okay, what do you have in the next verse? What are we supposed to remove? Well, in the Old Testament, they were to make sure they remove. What does does yours read? You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind. Do you have that? This is so contrary to the way we would think. What do we think about people who are in that type of situation? What's our thought if we see that they're in need of assistance? We help them. Okay, it's just part of it's ingrained in us. But in that day, it was don't mock the handicapped, don't mistreat them, don't take advantage of them. Okay, in the, somebody who is physically, you know, disabled. Verse 15. What does he want to, wanted the, his children to do? What, what judgment is he talking about? In, in what sense? Is he, talking, is he talking judicial? Is he talking personal? What's that? Treating everybody equally. And it could be judicially, right? Judicially, if somebody were making a decision, don't be influenced by their wealth, their position. Okay, okay, good. Or it could be in a personal way, is don't you judge people that they're poor, have nothing to do with them. And so he's telling the Jews, be very careful, being, living out this love your neighbor even as you love yourself concept in the Old Testament where you love the Lord thy God with all your heart first and the second commandment, love your neighbor. What do you have in the next verse? How would you summarize this? You shall not go up and down as a talebearer among people. Gossip, okay, getting rid of tailbearing or gossip out of your life. Verse 17, what do we got? You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall in any, nor in any wise uh, rebuke. You shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. What do you got? How would you phrase this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You got it. You got it. That idea of not letting bitterness and becoming vengeful against somebody. Um, you know, and what does he say in the book of Romans? Vengeance is... Yeah, okay. So we want to be careful in that regard. Verse 20, what do you have? Okay, in a form of adultery. In this particular case, it's taking advantage of somebody who's in your employ... Uh, somebody that you could 
you know, some, some man could sexually abuse that person because of his condition. And so he's saying, hey, this is wrong. Immorality is just plain wrong. Okay, now that's in this one text that he's got these things. Jump to the New Testament and go to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, he's got a list as well. And these, this list that it's very clear, okay, what about we in this day, what are we supposed to put off? And he talks about that idea in chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians, and he gets very specific here. He says, put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle, verse 22, of the old man. So this might be things that were acceptable before we were saved or in the culture of the world, but we're not supposed to be accepting what's part of that old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness of the lust. But he says in verse 24, put on the new man, which is after God created in righteousness. And so verse 25, he gets very specific. What do we put off? Lying. Okay. What do you put off in verse 26? You sure about that? Are you sure you put off all anger? Okay, wrong types of anger. Okay, we want to we we need to quantify this, okay? What he says, be angry and yet sin not. Okay? So is anger okay at times? Okay, if you're unsure about it, join us again tonight. Tonight we're last week and this week we're in a series that's called Getting a Grip. And we're talking about different types of struggles we have. We talk, we're talking last week, this week, about anger. And talking about when is it wrong to be angry? When has it become sinful anger? We'll expound upon that tonight. So rather than take the time, the obviously uncontrolled anger. Obviously the idea of bitterness is involved here. So we'll do more with that tonight. What do you have in verse 28? What else are we supposed to put off? Okay. Okay, no, we're talking verse 28. 28. Okay, stealing is, is out there. Steal no more. What do you have in the next verse? That's got to be put out. What do you have? No, no corrupt communication. Okay, so he's talking about that idea of anything. We would define this as, literally the word is, any rotten type of speech. Okay, and that's pretty broad. Okay, we're going we're gonna to define that a little bit more as we come along. But no unwholesome, no rotten type of speech. What do you have in verse 30? We're talking about the putting off at this point. Don't do this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, okay? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That is, hurt him, offend him, um, you know, burden him. What do you have in verse 31? Okay. You have bitterness. Okay, here we go. Now, there's several things listed. Okay, he has bitterness, and we want to define some of these terms, okay, because he's giving several terms. Bitterness is the idea of resentment, hatred. What's your next word he gives? Okay, wrath. It's the idea of a sudden outburst, okay, an act of rage that's very sudden, okay? It's like, give me a moment where you might be suddenly tempted to have an outburst, an instance, What's that? Driving. When you're driving, right? Can there be a sudden outburst that, oh man, what are that, what's that idiot doing? Okay. Uh, so he says, put that off. The word anger, 
okay, is this is the word of seething anger, that it's, per, it's lasting longer, okay? So it's not just that you're angry at the driver. Now you're, you know, yeah, you're not getting over it type thing. Here we go. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, let's go back to that. What, what you, what's your question? Grieves the Holy Spirit. It's all these things that we're talking about. Um, the grieving, thank you for bringing this up. That's a good, good question. Grieving is the idea of hurting him, uh, upsetting the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's an emotional response. Uh, it's not quenching. Quenching is that you're resisting something he's leading. The grieving is similar, same thing, but different in the sense that you are doing something that breaks his heart. Now, to define that, what could that be? Here we go now. Within this context, he's giving us, hey, this really breaks the heart of the Holy Spirit. Um, this anger, uh, can I illustrate this way? Um, does it grieve a parent? Does it bother when your kids are fighting with each other? Okay, you, 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 you got, let's, let's bring it up to adult kids. And they won't even talk to each other as adults or visit each other. Okay, many of you have never had that experience, okay? People you know that might have their kids won't come and see them at the same time. Okay, does that grieve a parent's heart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and some of us have not lived that, but we have seen it happen with extended family. And the parents are grieved by that. Okay, so like in that sense, the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, is grieved like that parent, like, oh, What's going on? I didn't raise them this way. How can they be doing that? How, you know, they're supposed to be loving one another. And so he's talking, and then he develops it by, here's some of the things that grieve the Spirit. A sudden outburst. Uh, grieve the Spirit by hanging on to an anger, letting it seize. Back to the next word. In, in the King James, I have clamor. What do you, does anybody have a different translation for the next word? What do you have? Brawling. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm never sure where the voice comes, so I pointed you to Julie, and you looked at me like, what? Um, So, um, this is the idea of loud screams, okay, loudly yelling and quarreling. So, it's your anger now is not just a sudden outburst, now you're into it, you're engaged, and you're really, you know, you're you're in an ongoing argument. What's your next word that he has? Evil speaking. The evil speaking, the word that's used is the word blasphemia. Does it sound familiar? Blasphemy. It's the word for blasphemy. What is blasphemy against God? How would you define? Somebody said, you know, what does it mean to blaspheme God? What's that? Curse God? Okay. Okay. Using the Lord's name in vain. Um, how did the New Testament, how did they blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah, attributing, basically, you know, saying the Holy Spirit's the devil, you know, attributing that way. So blasphemy is basically slandering somebody, okay? And it can be done on this level, not just this way. It can be done this way. We can blaspheme somebody by slandering them, by going and saying, hey, do you want to know about your sister-in-law? There is something I need to tell you about her. 
Okay, you, you already know. Okay, okay, so we're not gossiping because we all know it. Okay, okay. So that's the idea of blasphemy, okay? Abusing somebody by talking against them, about them, and sharing things. Then what's your last word that he has in this, in this verse? Malice, okay? The malice is this idea. It's vicious, Ill, Ill, Ill types of words that you are talking them down continuously in a vicious sense. Now, what's interesting with that is here's how some commentators understand this. Um, it's, it could be this. It could be uh, you're trying to describe something and you just keep on throwing out the ad- adjectives about it. Yeah, I'm really hungry. I'm famished. I, you know, I, I could die you know, if I don't get something to eat. And we keep on building up. Is that what he's doing in this passage? Is he just trying to throw every word possible out about, about anger and just trying to make, it, make sure that nobody tries to find a loophole? Is that a possibility? That's why he's used so many multiple words. It is. Some suggest this, that maybe what he's doing is he's building on this. He starts off with something like inner anger that can lead to deeper feelings of resentment, that can lead to outbursts, that can lead to publicly defaming tearing down that person to the point that it just becomes, you know, you, you've just can't, when that person walks in the room, you just go ballistic. I'm not sure which, but they're both in practice here. Get them out of your life. Now, keep going. Chapter 5. What does he say in verse 3 we're supposed to get out of our life? He's giving us a list here. What's the first word? Okay, what do you know about fornication in the sense of in, when the Bible uses it? Okay, it's dealing with sexual sins. It's pretty broad, okay, in the sense that uh, it is just, you know, that idea of any sexual immorality, illicit sexual relationships. And that can be all-encompassing of a whole bunch of things. And so then what's your next word? Get rid of fornication. Get rid of, okay, what do you have? Impurity, okay, the word, the all uncleanness, the idea is, the word literally translates impurity. It's that idea of unrestrained, unrestrained sexual activity or, or you know, uh, chasing after something. Um, so then he gives another word. So in the first, it's interesting, in the previous chapter he's dealing about speech. Now he's dealing about another strong desire, and it's the sexual appetites. What else does he say? Okay. Covetousness. Okay. Why does he put covetousness next to fornication and immorality? Uh, go, back to, go back to the Ten Commandments. Okay. Okay. Okay, so it's that idea, what, what you both commented on, it's that idea of this is, this is just, I, I want that, that whatever, that, that person, that forbidden object. You know, even in the Ten Commandments, he talked about not commit adultery, nor the idea of craving or lusting after your neighbor's wife possessions. And so that's that idea, inwardly greedy, that is all, covetousness is goal, is satisfy an unsatisfiable desire okay this is like the love of money the love of money leads to desiring more money and when does the person get enough a little bit more it's always a little bit more 
Okay, and so he's talking about that same thing. It, it's like um, when, when when somebody's really bitter and seeking revenge, when is their revenge satisfied? Probably never. When is somebody's immoral sexual appetite ever satisfied? He's saying it just isn't. When does somebody who has an addiction to drugs, when do they get enough and they're done? It's, it's, yeah, it's this idea of covetousness. It's an insatiable gratification, self-gratification. And so he says that type of thing. Now, notice how he, he pauses and he says, you know, get, get this out of your life and don't even let it be suggested, named, that you're near this stuff. And then he goes to the same chapter, verse 4, and he starts talking about, hey, also get rid of what? Filthiness. What's next? Foolish talking. What's next? Jesting, which are not convenient. Okay. It is interesting that in this verse, this is the only time that those three words show up in the Bible. This is a first and only use of those three terms in the original text. And so we know more about the words from extra-biblical literature, but it's the only time that, it, that, it, that they're used in the New Testament. The filthiness has the idea of obscenities, disgraceful speech. The idea of foolish talking, what do you think it means? Yeah, I, I, around, here, around here, there's that phrase, don't talk so dumb. Okay, Is that what we're... we're you know, um, the, the idea of foolish talking is, is inappropriate, talking about things that are inappropriate to be talking about. Okay? That just, and in our culture, what used to be inappropriate is now commercials. Okay? That things are just brought out into the open that you know, have, have broken down barriers, modesty barriers. And then he says, jesting. What do you think he means by jesting? Making fun? Okay. Is he saying joking is wrong? In context, what do you think he's doing? Okay. In, in this text, it's that crude and off-color type of, of humor. Okay. He, now, some have responded. It's interesting that some, some um, a couple articles that I read that commenting on this said, you know, they really struggle with this because God is against all humor. And God is against this passage as God says that we're supposed to be serious and never joke. And their application was that preachers who say things funny in the pulpit are dishonoring God. You know, so I'm never to make a joke, a jest, you know, because that's totally inappropriate. Is that, is, you know, now most of us, we like humor, yes? Okay. In fact... My, re- my retort to that is, is God against humor? My initial response is, no, he made me. Okay, you know, so, you know, I, I know that, you know, he's got a sense of humor by what he put together here. Um, you know, how we do things and sometimes we're so foolish. You know, how we laugh at our kids that was so cute and so silly and stuff. I do that all the time before the Lord. That I, I hope he laughs at me at times because it's unintentionally stupid. But a merry heart does good like medicine. So I understand that that word jesting is not prohibiting any type of laughter or jokes, but he's prohibiting jokes that are off-colored. He's prohibiting, you know, the, the double, you know, how the, uh, 
I'm not, I'm not giving any illustration, okay? But saying something that has double meaning, uh, and he's saying, hey, get that out. Get that out of your life. And, um, and so he's talked a lot about the speech that we do, the activities that we do, that we get out. And then in verse 6, he says something interesting that goes along with this list. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon children of, uh, of disobedience. So after he's listed these things, he's saying, don't let, don't let somebody tell you otherwise. What's he mean by that? Don't let somebody convince you or persuade you about all these things. Does that happen in our society? Do people try to persuade us that off-colored humor is okay? Okay? Hollywood's doing it all the time, right? In, in a lot of Hollywood, what they put out, sex is right in our face, okay? And they're trying to do what with us? You know, this is appropriate. Let's take the gay agenda. Is Hollywood promoting it? TV programs, okay? And they present it to us in a humorous way at times, that those characters are funny characters, and then after a while, what do people begin to think? It's not that bad. It's not, so it's that whole process of, remember the, the frog in the water? Those illustrations? That you put a frog in hot water, he's going to do what? But, if you do what? You put him in the water and then heat it up. He gets used to it and then, it, you know, same fate. It's going to kill him. So I think what he's doing in this text is warning us that this is the possibility that we can be desensitized. Okay? And is that true? Okay, according to this verse, it's true. Okay, according to this verse, we can be deceived or desensitized. And so what, he's, what he says is not deceived by the vain words, is don't be led astray that it's not a big deal to use profanity. You know, I've had this experience with people here where somebody all of a sudden uses vulgar speech and they're using pretty vulgar speech. And I'll kind of pause and look and say, you know, did you just hear what she said? You know, and they were like, what? People do cuss without even knowing they're saying it. Okay, it just becomes part of their vocabulary. And I remember on two occasions saying, did you just, you know, you just said something pretty vulgar. Oh, it's not that bad. How did it become not that bad to use vulgarity? Because we've become you know, desensitized to it. We just use it. And in their society, there's two groups of people that Paul had warned them about. There's the libertines and the Gnostics. Okay? Do you, any of you remember... Well, today we have libertines. That's a, it's the opposite of somebody who's a legalist. What do the libertines say? Anything goes, I'm saved. Since I'm saved, I'm safe, and God wants me to live in any way I want. Is that true? Not according to this text. He is listing things that we ought not to. Why does the libertine say anything goes? Because he doesn't like rules. He doesn't like standards. And in our sinful nature, that's where we're all at. We don't want to be told what to do, what to say. 
Okay, and he's saying, don't be deceived by that. Now, the Gnostics, the Gnostics were the type that would just say, it doesn't make, your, your body isn't really important. What's really important is your spirit. And so as long as your spirit is okay, you can do whatever you want with your body. In fact, your body's going to be destroyed, so you might as well eat, drink. Yeah, and so these were very popular teachings of that day. And so I think when he says, let no man deceive you, he's talking about even preachers coming in and saying, it's okay. You're forgiven already. You can have your hatred towards somebody. It's okay. You can have sexual immorality. It's okay. You can be vulgar. You're forgiven. And, you know, they're coming along and they're saying these things. And he says, don't stop. Stop letting yourself be deceived. And so he's making it very clear there are certain standards for speech. Oh, can, can I just throw in something that, that seems really odd? When it talks about foolish jesting and speech and words that we shouldn't do, that's not just what we say. It's what, we, what we're texting, what we're doing on social media. I'm, for one, sick and tired of hearing Christians say, I didn't say it, I just wrote it. Yeah, and it's like, but you're communicating, you know, you've got this post about loving Jesus, and then you're using some really harsh words, vulgar words, or you're really blasting somebody. So in our communication, and we've got to be careful because there are certain elements in our society that you, you and I, well, maybe me, Okay, some of you, we could really blast and get angry at certain elements of our society. And we should be against their sin, but be very careful how you communicate that, you know, and the, the words you use. And so with that, he says, okay, there we have those things to put off. Okay, let's, let's take it a step further. Uh, these are lists. These are very specific. In this same text, go back to verse 22, 24. We have the responsibility, okay, we have the, the command of God that we're supposed to put off concerning the former conversation. I should have dealt with this before. What is conversation in this passage? Lifestyle. Thank you. It's not just, it's not just our speech. It's everything. Attitude, actions, dress, you name it. But then he doesn't stop there. There's a second command. Put off concerning the old man, but also... What's the phrase? We have the responsibility to put on. Put on the new man created in righteousness and true holiness. So the question, we're going to get into it a little bit more, but let's start with this question. Why is putting on just as important as putting off? Okay. She said putting on will help us to fight against putting the things that we're not supposed to do. Anybody want to expand upon that? Lloyd, you want to comment on Okay. So it's the, you're, you're talking about if you don't, if you don't, you get something out of your life, if you don't put something in its place. Okay. It's that idea of the principle of replacement, biblically. It's the, the illustration that we often use is this. Go to the beach and dig a hole in the sand. What happens very, rather quickly? the hole is going to get filled up with something. Either you put something there or it's quickly going to just come right back. And so we need to replace it. If somebody says, hey, 
I'm not going to go, let's take a new convert. I'm going to stop going to the bars and drinking with my buddies. Great, that's a good thing. But what are you going to do with that time? If you don't put something in the place of that time that you spent with your buddies, what's going to happen? You're going to go back to it. You're not going to want to just sit there at home and stare at the wall. You're going to naturally gravitate if, you know, they were your buddies. You need to replace them or you're going to go back to your buddies because we are social creatures. And so it's very, very important. Now, we've talked about what we're supposed to put off. And by the way, we're really good at talking about what we're supposed to put off. You know, we, we are really good at saying, don't do that. Where's our struggle? Doing, the, the putting on, putting on. Because we often think, well, as long as I'm not cussing anymore, you know, I'm not stealing anymore. That's good. And that's good. You're not stealing anymore. But he says, instead of doing that, you've got to do something in its place. And you've got to carry this out. So let's look at what he's talking about in the passage. Let's jump back to Leviticus. It's interesting. The reason I want you to go there is I know we're not under the law, but these are still a lot of the same things that repeat in the New Testament. It is interesting that God, in initially giving out his law, he, knew, he, he states this principle right away. You've got to put off and replace it with... So back in the book... You're going to come back to Ephesians in just a minute. So back in the book of Leviticus... He told them to get rid of... Do you remember some of the things that we're supposed to have gotten rid of? Blasphemy, dishonesty, mocking the handicap, cheating our neighbors. What does he tell us we're supposed to... He told them, instead of doing those things, here's what you're supposed to put on. Starting with verse 3. Okay, so he's telling them that you're supposed to be respectful of your parents. <clears throat> Should that be repeated today? Part of every day at school. Okay. And then you said the other one, observing the prescribed day of worship. What do you have in verse four, uh, verses 9 and 10? In verses 9 and 10, he's talking about, hey, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, neither shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. Um, he says, you shall leave them for the poor and strangers. So is he saying, don't gather the crop? No. What's he telling him to do? Leave the corners. Leave the edges for the poor. Doesn't this remind you of any story in the Bible? Ruth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So what, what's he basically tell him to do? Do you want to put this in one word? Two words. Char- charity. Charity. Okay. Sharing and charity, it all comes together. Charity for the poor, uh, that, that, and by the way, I just want to make this observation. Charity for the poor doesn't mean you do all the work for them. Wouldn't that be great if we had this as a national concept? Yeah. Okay. The idea is that you leave it, but they have to do what? Mm-hmm. They have to do what they can to reap that themselves. What do you have in verse 18? What is it? Love your neighbor. Okay? Okay, that idea you put off the, avenge, the vengeance things. Love your neighbor as you do your own self. Verse 32. What do you have in verse 32? You shall rise up before the hoary head, honor the face of the old man, fear the Lord. What's a hoary head? Gray headed. 
No, no, you're, you're, you, brother, yeah. we're not going to be called hoary heads. No, we can be called shiny heads, right? You do know that the reason they don't put this light on in live stream is there's a glare, okay? That some of you have said, hey, why don't they turn on the, light, the baptismal thing? Because they get a glare when I walk around from that light back there. So I'm in good company, aren't I? Okay. The hoary head is the what head? Somebody said, the elderly. Okay, that idea of being respectful of the elderly among you. Which, which, by the way, is something we need to teach our kids and remind them here in church. Just as a total aside that I want to say sometime, but this is a moment to say it. I noticed that the last fellowship we did two, three weeks ago, that when we did the cake and dessert, the kids got down there ahead of us, and they occupied all the chairs throughout most of the gym. So as the adults came in, you know, what struck me is none of the kids got up and offered their chairs to the, to the seniors. It's something that we need to address. Okay, and I'm saying we, I'm not saying just me. It's something we need to address and remind our kids that, hey, it is respectful to give your seat to an older person. Some of you are looking like, what? Okay, it, it's true, it is. It's a respectful gesture. Um, and so it's just, it just struck me that we need to address this. So if any of you... You are right up there, brother. Okay. You, you, you don't need to give up your seat to anybody. Okay. Maury, you hang on to whatever chair you can. Okay. Then, you know. Maury, how old are you? And counting. And counting. Yeah. Maury, Maury is just... And, you're in good, good shape for the shape you're in, right? Uh, and his mind is, is doing well. You know, he's a blessing. So with this in mind, okay, that's something that remind us that we need to pass on and instruct. Uh, verses 33 and 34. 19 verses 33 and 34. What do, you, what do you have? Oh, this one's interesting. It says, if a stranger sojourn with you in your land, you shall not vex him. What is a stranger? Bring it to modern terms. An immigrant, a foreigner. Ooh. If an immigrant sojourn with you in your land, you shall not vex him. What's that mean? Don't mistreat, basically, don't mistreat him. Don't mistreat that person. Don't do him wrong just because they're a foreigner. And he goes on, But the stranger that dwells with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Do you remember this? Could non-Jews convert to Judaism? Yeah, and they'd, be, they'd become part of the nation. So he's talking about that idea that uh, with foreigners, should there be a welcoming of foreigners in that land? The answer is yes. Is there a caveat to that for modern day? Yes, come in the right way. Yeah, come in the right way. Do it legally. Okay, be open and hospitable for, towards foreigners, okay, in that sense that we are supposed to not look and say, okay, Dave, you're just sitting here, so you volunteered. Uh, so you come from somewhere, okay, and you come from Poland, okay, and you're here and you don't talk, the, you, you've got this garbled speech, and it's just like... <laughs> Don't, don't, want, don't, want, don't want to talk to him. He's just one of those furners. Yeah. And what's that? 
you try to be nice, but, you know, you talk funny. Yeah. What, what, not, no, I'm not talking about your Pennsylvania Dutch. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make this into a... You weren't the right person. You were just... <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, you got such a strong Pennsylvania Dutch accent, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have picked on you. Uh, but you, you know what I mean, right? Okay, by the way, for those who think humor is wrong, I'm sorry. Um, this, I, I think we all understand what we're talking about. It's taking advantage, you know, criticizing just because they talk different. You know, it's inappropriate. Verse 36, what do you have? Verse 36. Be honest with what? What's he talking about, the, the just balances? What's he mean? The, the business practice, because how, how did they handle their crops? They weighed things. And their, their payment wasn't necessarily like, you and I pull out a, a greenback, we have, we have the dollar bills. Theirs was typically weighed out. The coins went by weight. And so they could vary their amount. And so you have that idea of just the honesty in your business dealings. So that's Old Testament. Let's jump to New Testament and say back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I don't mean to bore you, but I, I'm just trying to get you the sense. There are some very, very, very specific things we're supposed to put off and put on. And so back in, in the book of Ephesians, he started off when he said, okay, put off and put on. He told us, verse 25, he said, put away lying. But right away he says... Okay, you replace the lying with, okay, the, uh, speaking truth, speaking honestly. Can, can, by the way, just as an aside, speaking honestly, does that mean you have to say everything you're thinking? That's a misnomer in modern day. You know, that that we, we need to stop and pause. And I think we need to mention to our young people, being honest doesn't mean you have to say everything that comes across your mind. Okay, that's not honest. That's, I want to use the word, that's dumb, that's dumb and dangerous, everything that comes through. But, I, but I've run into several people of late that just said, well, I want to be honest with the people around me, so I just tell them whatever I'm thinking. And I don't know where this comes Is it coming from because we are so bold in texting and media that all of a sudden it's coming back and out of our mouth? But honesty doesn't mean you have to speak everything that's coming through your mind. Okay, but we're supposed to speak the truth, okay, as when we speak. Verse 26. Okay, he's told us to be angry and yet... Okay, so is there proper anger? Is there an appropriate time to be angry? Is there an appropriate... You're both nodding at the same time. So I'm going to ask you, is there an appropriate time as a parent to be angry? Yes. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, when your child's doing something wrong. Or if they, this would never happen in your home. But if a child has a bad attitude, you know, they're disrespecting you, okay, is there an appropriate controlled anger? Yeah, yeah. So there's moments for that, okay? Um, the right reasons, right times, right reactions. Uh, what else are we supposed to be doing? Okay. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So what's, what's the positive that way? Reconcile. Restore. Let, let's jump down to verse 28. Verse 28. Don't steal. We already talked about it. Don't steal. But, and, and you guys as a whole, I w- couldn't, couldn't imagine. You know, I can't imagine anyone here going out and stealing. But we're supposed to do what? Not just don't steal, 
Okay. In this text, what does he say? Work with your hands. Okay? The thing which is good. So we're supposed to labor. We're supposed to work. And then he goes a little bit further. Not only are we supposed to work, but we're supposed to be willing to do what? To be charitable. Okay? To the needy. Okay? Verse 29. Don't let the unwholesome communication proceed out of your mouth. But... What do we do? What's, what's his first words he's giving us? Okay. Have edifying speech that ministers grace to the hearers. What is that? Def- define to me how that would look today. What would you say, Pooch? Building up somebody? How, how does that look? Encouraging words. Is that the end of it? I'm sorry. Complimentary words, okay? What else could it include? Okay, truthful, sincere, adding to that, yeah. What else could build somebody up? I'm sorry. Teaching the right things, excellent. What else could be building somebody up? Okay, constructive. Is that what you said, the first part? Constructive criticism could be building up somebody. Um... You worked in the nursery this morning. And oh, surprise, surprise, Pastor Wayne goes long. Yeah, and you're there. And parents come and they take the kids. What is a positive thing that would, you would appreciate? A thank you. A thank you for your labors. Does that build somebody up? Yeah, okay. So there's all kinds of things here that could add to it. Verse 32. Okay, we're not supposed to have that anger, that malice, that whole list of different levels of, of uh, negative thinking or speaking towards somebody, but rather, what are we supposed to replace it with? Okay, um, with kindness would be kind one to another. The, the word for kindness is translated as well, frequently merciful, like the mercies of God. Okay, what other things are you supposed to do according to this verse? I'm sorry. Okay, that tender-hearted, that tender-hearted is compassion. Okay, showing compassion towards others. We're going to be talking about some of this tonight. You know, instead of the angry things, what does that mean in the moment of frustration? What should you be doing? What would be a tender-hearted thing to do? Uh, and then forgiving one another, that's totally self-explanatory, other than as God forgave you. And so he's given us these lists. There is another passage in the New Testament that gives a grocery list. It's in Titus chapter 2. In fact, he says, I want you, to, Titus, to teach the older men, and he gives them a list. The older women, and he gives them a list. The younger men gives them a list. The younger woman gives a list. Those who are workers... Those who And he goes on, and he gives specifics to different peoples in different positions and different age groups. That obviously, from God's point of view, these are areas we're supposed to work on, putting off and putting on. We'll start with that next week. Thanks for listening. Okay, let's get ready for our worship service. Appreciate your input, folks. Thank you so much.